Welcome to Get Online from Great Plains Idea. I'm your host, Catherine Harth, and thanks for downloading this week's podcast. Get Online has expert advice and creative resources to inform and enrich the online educational experience for both students and faculty. In this three-episode series, we get online with academic advising, specifically faculty advisors who work with online graduate students. Later in this episode, we are going to chat with Kimberly Smith, Assistant Provost of Academic Advising Initiatives at Virginia Tech University. Kim will explain how academic advisors stand in a prime position to serve as career influencers. Also coming up, we'll take a closer look at some of the misconceptions about academic advising. But first, let's take some questions from students in this segment that we call Just Ask George. All right, let's answer some student questions. Our first question today is from Nora at North Dakota State University. Nora emailed to ask about what to do when life gets in the way of school. Nora said, I've been been taking one class every semester and it's been going really well. I like my program and my instructors have been great. However, I anticipate needing to take the fall semester off to care for my partner who is having a major surgery. Can students take a break from classes? Will I be able to re-enroll for the spring? Can my advisor help? Life does happen, Nora. You're not alone here. Lots of online students, especially adult students who usually have other life commitments like spouses, children, and jobs, need to take a semester off. Uh, You may hear this referred to as a stopout. It's different from a dropout because it means you have a plan to return. It's really important that you communicate before and during your break from school. Not only will your advisor be concerned with your situation, but he or she can offer advice about how a break will impact your progress. Your advisor may be able to help you map a path through this stopout to keep you on track when you return the next semester. They can also share information about when enrollment will open for the next semester. Thanks, George. That's important information. The next question today is from Sarah at Colorado State University. Sarah emailed to ask about concerns she has about her an instructor in her online course. Sarah said, when I enrolled in my course for this semester, I was so excited, but that excitement has faded. My instructor is hardly communicating. We get a group message in the learning management system every couple of weeks. And even though I've submitted all of my assignments on time, I haven't received any feedback in the last three weeks. I'm worried about my grade and I'm frustrated with the lack of information coming from my instructor. Should I contact my academic advisor? Good question, Sarah. It's tough when you feel like you're not getting the information you need. Most likely, it is not your academic advisor's job to monitor a faculty member's instruction. However, your advisor can help you by making some suggestions. For example, the most obvious action would be to encourage you to reach out to the instructor one more time. Instructors sometimes encourage unexpected events in their lives, just like students. Perhaps your instructor has run into a life challenge and is working on corrective measures. If that fails, you can ask to visit with the instructor's department chair. The department chair is like a manager of the faculty in the program. This is the person who communicates regularly with faculty. During such a conversation, it would be helpful if you could provide examples of messages you sent to your instructor and a copy of the course syllabus. Remember, Institutions often send course evaluations at the end of the semester. These evaluations are an opportunity for you to provide constructive feedback. Thanks, George. Back to you, Catherine. 
Thank you, Amanda and George. At the end of every episode, we are going to give away resources tailored to you, our audience. So stay tuned until the end of today's show for a free and fantastic resource that will benefit students, faculty, and everyone in between. We call this next segment, Get on the Same Page. My colleague, Dr. Amanda Burris, is going to pose the exact same question to a faculty advisor and then to a student. We're going to hear how each individual answers the question, and then Amanda will help us analyze these differing views and provide suggestions to help get faculty advisors and students on the same page. Let's hear from Amanda. Today, we are going to get on the same page about advisors and their responsibilities to answer student questions. First, we talked to Kathy, a faculty advisor from Clemson University. Kathy, do you believe an academic advisor should have answers to all student questions? As an advisor, I don't think I should have all the answers to all student questions. There are a lot of resources on campus and online that help the students navigate. I think they need to be able to find that information on their own. Thanks, Kathy. Next, we talked to Tim, a student from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and asked his thoughts. Tim, do you think that your advisor should have answers to all of your questions? Well, I expect that my advisor has answers to pretty much all of my questions. I think they should be able to help me understand things like my program uh, of study, financial aid, and give me advice about my career. So what did we learn here? The faculty and student in this situation have pretty different expectations. The faculty member is correct that it is not their job to have all of the answers, but they should be able to connect students to resources. Because students don't always know where to go for answers, they should be able to rely on their advisor to help them navigate things. It's a good idea for students to ask their advisor questions about things like program of study, financial aid, and career advice, but they need to know that their advisor may need to connect them with someone else who has more knowledge in that area. Next up on the podcast, we will be talking with Kimberly Smith, Assistant Provost of Academic Advising Initiatives at Virginia Tech University. Kimberly is also the chair of Nakata's Career Advising Community. Welcome, Kim. Hello, Catherine. Thank you for inviting me, and I'm excited to be here today to uh, talk about career advising. Yeah, we're excited, too. Thanks for joining us. And we're going to talk a little bit about how it relates to career development and specifically with graduate students. But before we dive into our topic, we want to know more about you. So how did you get into academic advising and what about this field or this topic made you decide to make a career out of it? Sure, um, I'd love to share. Uh, specifically, um, as a graduate student, I earned a graduate teaching assistantship that had that was directly related to academic advising. Never knew it was a field, never knew it was a career, but I enjoyed it so much that I actually changed my graduate program to make a career out of academic advising. And more importantly, what drew me to this particular field is the fact that I was a first-generation college student, and so I really did not have have a lot of guidance in terms of career exploration, figuring out what are all my options, how a degree relates to your career. And so I wanted to make sure that other students had an opportunity to have someone guide them through that experience. Changing the narrative for other first-time college, first-generation college students. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. So we know there are all sorts of advisors in the world, and one of them is career advising. 
In our two previous episodes, we learned that there are different approaches to advising and that there are different types of advising. So for today's conversation, let's start with a definition. And can you let us know what exactly career advising is and what it looks like? Absolutely. Um, Career development really involves the process of engaging students in self-exploration. That's where they learn more about themselves, also establishing a work and career identity, uh, and then finally expanding their awareness of different career possibilities that align with their academic goals. Specifically, Virginia Gordon, she really um, formed a definition of advising, of career advising that many of us have adopted because it involves helping students understand how their academic and personal interests, their abilities and values might relate to specific career fields. So it's really more about that self-exploration in relation to what options they have available out there. So that's career advising. On the other hand, many of us who are in academic advising certainly understand we have a specific definition um, that sort of frames the work we do, but really academic advising is about facilitating the clarification of academic, personal, and career goals, which combines each of these three dimensions into a comprehensive educational plan to help students figure out how to reach those goals. So really, if you just listen to those two definitions, you can see that there is a tremendous amount of overlap um, between the two. Um, What we do know is that given the structured and intentional nature of academic advising, academic advisors stand in a prime position to serve as effective career influencers in an effort to better prepare students for life after college. For example, many colleges and universities have very structured and intentional advising approaches to ensure students engage. However, it's less common for schools to have less to have comparable uh, strategies in place to get students engaged in the career development process prior to graduation. In fact, I was reading a recent statistic that said one out of three college seniors never visit the career center at any point in their college experience. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes. So this means that if we advisors have a, a captive audience, why not take advantage of that time to help students engage in career exploration? So with the idea that I love the how you call it a career influencer, that makes so much sense Um, because you're certainly not going to do all of the work for them as a faculty advisor. So so we know students need to be proactive. They need to start the conversation for their career trajectory. I mean, it is their life after Mm -hmm. all. But we also know that some of our students are returning to school after years, sometimes decades away from the university setting. And so this is all unfamiliar to them. And sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. Or we also know that there are students who are juggling multiple responsibilities. They have family, they have work, life, and now they've added graduate school to their list. So it's possible that things can slip through the cracks. In addition to being an influencer, how else can faculty advisors help? What what can be their role in all of this? Faculty advisors um, really are critical in helping students to set the expectations of the advising process and really can work very intentionally to integrate academics into career development. Now, what I will say to you is that both uh, students and advisors alike share responsibility in the career development process. 
advisors and students, again, share responsibility. However, the amount of responsibility should vary over time with the academic advisor assuming more responsibility early in the student's academic career to develop uh, intentional and proactive experiences that are gonna help the students to reflect and gain more knowledge of their actual options um, in their career or discipline. So as students progress though, over time, that responsibility should shift with students being ultimately responsible for their career development. But again, back to specifically the faculty involvement, faculty, effective faculty advisors really um, are able to guide students in using resources that aid in career exploration. So when advisors practice career advising, they provide information on the nature of the workforce and realistic preparation for career fields and help students make sound decisions that further their goals. Uh, so some academic advisors might want to recognize that they already do this on a daily basis and other advisors may see how they can easily weave this career advising into the work that they're doing. So I would just recommend three uh, steps or three talking points for faculty uh, to consider. The first is that faculty advisors really need to brush up on career development knowledge. Uh, this doesn't mean that uh, advisors have to be career development scholars. However, they, sh they should develop some background in how career development occurs um, and provides a solid foundation for career advising. Um, there are theories out there such as Holland's career typology or Super's theory of vocational choice. Uh, and there are actually some resources that NACADA, the National Academic Advising Association, has developed, including the pocket guide entitled Academic and Career Advising for the Undecided, Exploring, and Major Changing Students, and the Academic ha uh, the ha Handbook of Career Advising. So again, those are just a number of resources, but there are tons out there uh, to help faculty advisors really brush up on their career development knowledge. Second, faculty advisors really need to get to know all of the career resources available on their campus. While uh, most uh, college campuses have a career center, some campuses also have a separate major and career exploration center. Uh, sometimes you'll find counseling services may also offer career counseling for students. So it's just a, bit, a matter of understanding the available resources on campus. So some questions that they might want to ask are what resources are available on campus and where? Are all career development needs met at the campus career center or are there other locations? What can the student expect of their appointment with any of the campus career resource offices? So we don't want to just send students over there to another unit. We want to know what would the experience be like so that we can prime the student on what to be prepared for, what questions to ask to make it a more meaningful interaction. Mm -hmm. Lastly, does someone is someone going to sit with the student and interpret any of the assessment results if that's a part of their process there? The last uh, suggestion I have for faculty uh, advisors is to really look at how they can weave career advising um, into their preferred academic advising approaches, approach. So again, uh, you mentioned at the beginning that there are a number of different advising approaches. Understanding the wide range of those approaches and which approach works best with different students is critical. I like to say the approaches are more like a toolbox, different ways that you can work with different students. You need to have a toolbox that's loaded with different ways that are going to engage the student. 
And so it's really critically important for faculty advisors to be aware of what those advising approaches are. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. We, as instructors, we encourage everybody to have toolkits, their teaching toolkit. So also having your advising toolkit ready to go. And, and I will let our listeners know that some of the resources that Kim mentioned, we'll link to those in our, from our podcast website. Mm-hmm. So you can go and find some of those there as well. Kimberly, this is all great information you have shared with us on how faculty advisors can help. There's been so many great tips. So if I'm a graduate student, how and when do I get started? What should be my first step? Well, of course, that first step may be different for different students simply because we come in at a different uh, developmental level. However, um, universally, what I would say is all graduate students should start immediately even at the point that they've made a decision that they wish to return or begin uh, graduate uh, education. And I would start by creating a plan for integrating your academic program with career development activities. Uh, Students should spend as much time creating a career development plan um, as they do on developing their program of study. Um, And they should really complement each other. The program of study outlines the coursework that you will complete to get to graduation. The career development plan, on the other hand, outlines all the other experiences that are gonna better prepare students to move into the world of work or whatever their uh, post-graduate plans are. Um, We have found in the literature that students who simply focus on academics, um, while they may um, come out and uh, be great highly intellectual individuals. They're not always the students who are um, best prepared to enter into the workforce. There are some uh, skills that many employers say are very important to them. Uh, We call those career competencies. Um, And those generally tend to be some of the soft skills. And so students should then ensure that their career development plan uh, really does give them opportunity to explore what are the essential skills needed to be successful in a given career and be able to articulate to employers how they have developed those skills throughout their career. So uh, throughout their academic career. So those would include things like communication skills, leadership skills, um, being able to work with a diverse uh, workforce, those sorts of skills. And so that's how students can start by really looking at the development of their own uh, career plan. That makes so much sense that you should spend as much time on your career development plan as you do on your academic plan of study. So is there any more that you can tell us about what the career development plan looks like? What kind of pieces go into that? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the, the first part of the career development plan is really just the career exploration itself. That means, um, have I really under, do I really understand myself? Have I engaged in self-reflection to know what types of work environment I work in, I would work best in? What is my personality like? Um, will I want to be engaged with working um, in a high demand office? Do I need to be able to work in a setting alone? Those sorts of things. Um, but also, how do my skills, my interests, and my abilities, how do they match up with uh, current occupation? current occupations or current opportunities within my discipline. So that would be the first step. Um, Once I have a better understanding of that, then I should be able to look within my own academic program to see or academic curriculum to see where I might be able to enhance my skill set. 
um, and develop specific programs that are going to, again, best prepare me for the world of work. For example, there are some uh, careers out there um, in which being able to work with a diverse workforce is critically important. So if I am able to, perhaps I would be able to define uh, study abroad opportunities or any type of co-curricular opportunities. So outside of the classroom that are going to demonstrate my ability to work uh, collaboratively across a wide spectrum and diverse group of individuals. So that's um, basically how the career development plan unfolds. I would then, you know, it's very important for students to use that um, in relation to having conversations with their faculty advisors to get feedback, to see if revisions need to be made, um, and then to really start to, believe it or not, look at long-term plans. Where do they want to see themselves go within a particular career? Maybe they start an entry-level position, but maybe they form goals that within five years they want to look at management. That would be totally up to the student and the faculty advisor to look at sort of those aspirations beyond initial employment. You know, with a lot of graduate students, they might already be in the field in which they are, you know, furthering their skills or they might be jumping into a whole new field altogether. So it does Absolutely. make sense that they're aligning that career development plan and having conversations all along the way with their faculty advisor. So Absolutely. One good thing, though, when working with um, the, the graduate population, the graduate students typically have a more refined career outlook, meaning when you compare the undergraduate students, they typically do have no clue of all the opportunities that are out there related to one specific discipline and moving into a career. Um, they also don't typically understand that there's usually more than one path to get mm -hmm. to the same end result. Just because mm -hmm. you want to work in business doesn't mean you have to necessarily earn a degree from a business school. Um, you could choose a major in some other area. But graduate students typically have had that undergraduate experience, number one. But number two, they've typically had some work experience as well that helps them to have a much more refined perspective. Where some of the challenge I have seen with graduate students, it involves the idea that many faculty advisors assume that students um, are coming to graduate school to pursue faculty or teaching jobs. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so a lot of faculty advisors, I would say, feel least comfortable in helping their students transition into careers that are outside of academia. And so if there are any professional development opportunities, I say they, I would suggest they might want to center around that specific population. Faculty can also connect students to people who are already out there in the field. Absolutely. Connecting those, those relationships for them. Yes. So last question for our interview today. Um, you've given us so much to think about. Advisors and students take just one thing away from today's interview, from all this really great information. What do you want that one thing to be? What's the most critical? For students, I would say the most critical is to take charge of your own career development. Um, I think a lot of times students, um, particularly when they're just starting out on their educational path, assume that certain uh, experiences are going to be built in, um, assume that someone is going to help them transition immediately to their next career. But ultimately, that responsibility really should be the students. And so don't be afraid to take charge by asking questions, by asking for advice about uh, participation in certain experiences. Uh, faculty advisors will be um, 
almost expecting that to come from the student. On the other hand, for my faculty advisor colleagues, the one piece of advice that I would hope you understand or take away from this experience is the need to provide proactive and intentional experiences that are going to engage the student in the career exploration process. Meaning uh, a lot of times or sometimes there are faculty who assume that this is happening elsewhere, but if we don't build it into uh, a set curriculum, that students engage in this career exploration, that could be done within the curricular or it could be done by encouraging students to engage in particular co-curricular opportunities. But it's very important that faculty not make the assumption that that's being taken care of somewhere else, um, but to ensure that students are getting, uh, meeting certain outcomes and developing certain skills to be best prepared to transition into their career. Well, that, that is a great note to end on. Students, advocate for yourself. Faculty, you can do it in the curriculum and outside the curriculum and don't make assumptions that it's already provided. Thanks for helping us understand what online students can expect from faculty advisors when it comes to career advising. It's been my pleasure. That was Kimberly Smith with Virginia Tech University talking with us about how academic advisors can be career influencers. She recommended we all brush up on our career development knowledge and cited several resources. We've added links to those resources on our website. While this episode of Get Online is all about academic advising, we know that there are other types of advising in the world. One of those is policy advising. To hear more about this, we talked to Dan Pomeroy, the executive director of the Scientific Citizenship Initiative at Harvard Medical School. Previously, Dan was a senior policy advisor at MIT. Dan. Hi, my name is Dan Pomeroy, and I advise academics on how to engage with public policymakers. Often scientists who want to inform policy think about this type of engagement as a one-way street, with scientists taking their research and repackaging it for policymakers. However, to really be effective in this space requires building relationships and two-way dialogues with policy audiences. These relationships help to identify research questions that are not only academically interesting, but that are also relevant to the issues of policymakers grappling with. Therefore, when advising scientists, I help them to first identify the relevant stakeholders and whatever issue they're working on, then prioritize which are the most important to reach out to, and finally help connect them directly with the audience that they hope to talk to. This is Rachel Omis with Great Plains Idea. And if you're hearing my voice, that means you've made it to the end of our podcast. At the end of every episode, we provide our listeners with a giveaway. And today's freebie is a fantastic resource that will help students develop their resume. Our Developing Your Resume packet includes worksheets and resources that will help students connect their academic, professional, and life experiences as they seek new employment or promotions. The packet can be used during advising sessions or independently and can be a powerful resource to identify skills and opportunities for career placement and advancement. To get yours, go to www.gpidea.org podcasts. That's it for this week's show. Special thanks to our guests, Just Ask George Steele, our student and faculty voices, and our guest expert, Kimberly Smith. Also, a big thanks to the Great Plains Idea team. This show would not be possible without all of their help. Chelsea Barbercheck. I'm Amanda Gannott. Amanda Burris. This is Rachel Omis. Stephanie Stewart. 
You can download other Great Plains Idea episodes on your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Great Plains Idea and to access the resources shared during this and other episodes, go to gpidea.org slash podcasts. That's gpidea.org slash podcasts. I'm your host, Katherine Harth, and until next time, get online. <laughs>